Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a couple pretty sweet gifts. First one is uh, Sean probably needs these today because he's he's uh he's in the Midwest right now. I don't know. High Plains, I guess is what you want to call it right now. The High Plains, and it's cold, and it's even cold by, you know, the people of the high plane standard. He needs some of these deer skin work gloves to keep his hands warm when he's out there driving around, uh, going from speech to speech to speech in the, uh, the greater Kearney, Nebraska Metroplex. So Sean, Sean needs those gloves, keeps his hand warm. He also, if you want to, if you want to go check out the moving iron summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th, Axon Tire is going to give you $50 off of your registration fee. So check that out. Send an email to marketing axontire.com for the gloves and send me an email, moving iron podcast, moving iron podcast.com. And I'll make sure to get you signed up for the moving iron summit. Uh, Valley transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trekking needs at Valley transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment auction sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is an industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctional pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Lots of uh, interesting things going on with um, uh, weather and volcanic eruptions and things that we've talked about for a long time, which that we would start to see and we're starting to see it. And so now we have to start incorporating it into our overall weather models that we put together um, 
because they're going to be occurring more frequently. And, um, and if you don't factor them in, um, I think it's going to be a lot of misfirings on weather forecasting for those that are just looking at standard um, ways of forecasting and typical teleconnections. I think they're going to miss a lot of volatility that's going to come from these eruptions as they impact the atmosphere, impact the upper airflow, and obviously impact the sea surface temperatures of the Pacific Ocean. So, Right on. Yeah, I think you brought something up this morning that I had not heard about, and of course you you find these things and, and you run with them and you uh, build them into your models. And so there is a, a volcano, underwater volcano that is in the Mariana somewhere over by Australia. And it's heat, it's heating up the, uh, the water temperature right there, which is uh, typically wouldn't be that big of a deal. But when you're in order to break the La Nina cycle and go to El Nino cycle, like you were explaining to me, this particular patch of water needs to get cold, right? Cause there's a, uh, there's a warm patch over you know, on the on the other side of that. So, I guess when you're when you're looking at that, this is heating this stuff up. I mean, this could cause, let's like you said, a huge issue when it comes to how that's you know rainfall and and all the stuff that we're we're planning on seeing happen um, with a El Nino cycle coming into play. This could really throw a throw a monkey wrench in it. Well, it, it, La Nina is the cold sea surface temperatures to the central and the east, and then you have this warm body of water. As you said, in order to break the pattern, you need to get the the, the warm water, the warm water over here, and you need this to cool down. Um, if we have this artificial warming of this exact region, it needs to be cooling. And if this underwater eruption lasts long enough and is persistent enough, doesn't mean it it doesn't it won't eventually give way. But it's it's a question of how long is this eruption keep warming this water? Meaning it could delay or kick the can down the road further before the El Nino can kick in. There's a, remember we're dealing with this Gleisberg cycle, eighty nine year cycle that's plus or minus one year. Um, you cannot have you've never had a major drought so long as you have an El Nino. You can have a major drought if you have a neutral to neutral La Nina conditions. Even if this kicked the can down the road six months. So let's say instead of the El Nino arriving late spring, summer, it arrives fall or winter, that would be enough time for the one in 100 draft to take place. So, so yeah, I don't know how long this will last. It's supposedly, from what the scientists have said, Casey, it's been spewing hot lava and warming these waters for the last 30 days. I've looked at the sea surface temperature differentials for the last 30 days, and we've seen a, a significant warming. Of this area right there and so well i'm going to monitor it i mean if this thing keeps this going you know another three or four months it, it's something that we might have to uh factor in on top of the tonga eruption as to whether or not this el nino the typical la nina cycle is going to kick in on time to avoid the gliceberg cycle occurring in 23 versus 24 25 which is our forecast so just another thing that's occurring that we've noticed that we have to factor in and and, and start really paying attention to it. And, you know, obviously we'll be watching it and updating it um, and, um, and see what happens. But uh, they, they have noted that um, at least the latest readings, they've noted that it has been sort of uh, uh, calming down a little bit the last uh, few days and whether that's just a, a temporary pause where it's actually going to go, you know, go quiet again. We'll just have to see, but it's definitely something that could have, if it was anywhere else, Casey, it wouldn't be that much of an issue, but it happens to be located right where it, the key sea surface temperatures 
are critical for the El Nino La Nina switch. Um, and, um, and, and it just, it just, it's an, it's an impactful thing if it doesn't go away soon enough. So. Right on. It's something to pay attention to. Definitely. Uh, again, for, for those that want to know, it's, the, it's near the Mariana islands, which is North Northwest of Australia. Um, it's these uh, small Mariana islands in the uh, West Pacific. That's where this is happening. And if you do a, do a search, I mean, there's a lot of information that talks about what the scientists are, are discovering right now. And it's just, you know, they've just, just we've only seen this information coming out from them in the last three or four days. I guess they, they're comfortable enough now to, and they monitor long enough to, that they have confidence about what's going on there. So, so is this something that they have, you know, past record to show something like, you know, like the Tonga thing, no one, no one has really has any, you know, past experience with, with this situation. Is this a similar situation to that? Or is this something that they've, they've seen happen before? Well, I mean, we, we, there are underwater volcanoes that go off sure. all the time, Casey. Right. The key is that if we had an underwater volcano go off in that part of the ocean um, at a critical time for the La Nina El Nino switch, the answer is I'm not aware of it. Um, you know, I'm not aware of it. So um, this would be another, you know, one of those things that we haven't seen before. But this one's a little easier to um, connect the dots on because you just look at the sea surface temperatures. If, if this is impactful enough and strong enough to keep those waters warm, you really can't get an El Nino. Doesn't mean the La Nina won't, di won't dissipate. Remember in order to, to avoid a, the, the big drought cycle, you need El Nino. If it's neutral in 2012, we were neutral. We had a major drought. Um, you know, in the 19, the, the dust bowl, we were neutral conditions, not only La Nina. And we had a major, major one one year drought. It just can't be El Nino. So there's a very, very big importance between the La Nina weakening to neutral and going to El Nino. There's a big difference. Weakening to neutral still gets rid of the La Nina, but it doesn't take the drought risk off the table. And that's really what's important here is, you know, that's a delicate balance. And, and if it just kicks down six months, that's the difference between it happening or potentially not happening. And so that's what we're going to be trying to discern, not only with this, new development but obviously as we talked about before with the tonga eruptions to whether or not those that water vapor in the atmosphere is going to you know alter the um the upper airflow pattern cycles and, and delay the el nino from coming we'll see right on okay fun stuff man it's, that's another one of those things to pay attention to it really is um all right it's another thing to pay attention to we've been talking about this back and forth uh looks like the uh deal with uh the black sea um Seaport, you know, free passage extension has taken place uh, for another 120 days from November 18th. All right. So that puts it out another four months. So you're looking at somewhere in February timeframe that we're going to have this conversation again, assuming um, that they're still at war, which nothing says that they won't be. So I guess when you look at that, what what reaction will the market have to that today, Sean? And, and how do you think that's going to influence price wheat? Well, the markets are down across the board and grains as you would expect them to be right. on an official confirmation of an extension of the grain deal. I mean, they have, you know, there's been some worry that it was going to get extended. Yeah. You know, um, then they, then there was just bombing, <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, and, and all of a sudden the grain markets took off saying, well, it's not going to happen. And then apparently it didn't come from Russia or it doesn't seem like it came from Russia. So that kind of seemed to quickly calm down and now they extended the grain deal. So, you know, I really 
hard for me to think that this is going to have more than a short-term negative reaction, you know, sell the rumor, buy the news kind of thing. You know, I would be pretty surprised if the markets didn't start rebounding sometime next week. Um, I'm not sure this is a huge surprise, really. Um, you know, so my view is it's it, now that that's done, we've traded it. And so now guess what it goes back to, Casey? South American weather. Yeah. Because it always does this time of the year. We have fantastic Brazilian weather and we have pretty awful Argentina weather. Can Argentina weather worries overcome fantastic Brazilian weather? I think it can for a little while in December. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think it's, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be a rip your face off kind of weather market route that we've seen in the past. So long as Brazil is good, but it can create, you know, some weather premium back into prices and create some kind of a, of a tradable rally that producers might want to sell into. I still feel that's on the table. And I still think whatever reaction we're getting today or even follow through tomorrow, if we get it, I, I think it's going to be very short lived. I just don't think this was a huge surprise that this deal got extended. I think most people had been pricing it in for a while now. Right on. All right. So from an inflationary standpoint, as we take a look, what's going on there. I mean, I think everyone is, is, definitely um settled into what's happening here we're seeing um you know goldman sachs and those kind of things are adding adding some stuff to those forecasts and, and those kind of things as you look at at the inflationary side of it right now i mean the dollar's taking some hits here of late and we're, we're seeing a weaker dollar come across which is good for exports but i guess sean as you're looking at the inflationary <clears throat> excuse me as, as you look at the inflationary uh, scenario that we have and how that's affecting the dollar obviously that's gonna be good for exports but overall i guess what are your thoughts worldwide is this inflationary um food um cost takes takes hold here more and more each day well i mean right now we're in a the deflationary part of the cycle um because the fed's been raising rates because they've been pulling money supply you know, we've had a general downward trend in commodities and food prices really since the invasion in February. Yeah. Um, and remember, the dollar is a leading indicator to future Federal Reserve policy. So the way the cycle typically works, um, they raise rates, the dollar starts going up, uh, commodities delay the reaction, then they start to fall, then the dollar starts to go down, but the commodities don't really react because they're still dealing with deflation and lower demand and, and, and weakening economy. Um, and then as the dollar continues to fall and as the Fed begins to talk about pivoting, then the commodity markets start factoring in better demand. So, so it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a phase cycle between how all these markets react. The precious metals tend to go up first because they also lead the way towards future policy. So right now we're still in the demand is weakening. The economy is weakening. The Fed is not yet ready to give way. The dollar is starting to show cracks in the armor, but you know it's early. It's not enough, and um, but it's 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 an early sign that later on in twenty three, you know, we're probably going to see that pivot that the market is, um, you know, looking for. So, uh, so either way, I kind of see it as I as I, I still see that this is being an overall corrective phase, as is typical. You typically after a big two year surge, you typically get a pause for a year, year and a half. And then you and then you reset the bar and then you and then you get the inflationary forces going again. The only thing that would truncate that, Casey, would be this weather situation we just talked about. If we get the El Nino, which we are, which we would 
typically get right now, that's the forecast. If we get in over the next three months and it looks like the El Nino is going to be delayed and the Gleisberg cycle is going to be front and center for 23, you know, then this is going to be a shorter, dura- shorter duration um, correction, especially in the grain markets. And, uh, and then we would have to adjust accordingly. So, so right now we're still in the throes of negative overall view of commodities, of hard assets, of deflation, um, of demand destruction. And, um, and, and that, that's going to continue to keep the markets um, depressed or, or, or on the defensive uh, until or when weather is meaningful enough to override that. And in the, in the short run, I think it's Argentina weather in December. That would be something yeah. that could, could do that, could do that. Right on, man. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual, man. You're enjoying the life out there. So what's your Carney now? So what's, what's the, uh, what's you giving a speech today? So talk a little bit about the speech you're giving and, and a little bit about what you're going to be covering in that speech. Well, I mean, what I, you know, what I try to cover to a group that I've never spoken to before about, you know, orbital theory of climate change is the idea that the sun um, activity, the sun's motion, the motion of the moon, how those interact with the earth's atmosphere and the currents on the oceans of the, of the earth impact sea surface temperatures, impact airflow, and how the planets of the solar system interact uh, to also uh, impact those kind of things. And so I kind of lay out what the solar cycle is, um, what the grand solar cycle is, why I believe we're in one, the data behind it. Um, you know, we go over the sea surface temperature, uh, long-term cycles of the AMO, which is the, you know, the Atlantic sea surface temperatures, the PDO, which is the Pacific uh, sea surface temperatures, go over El Nino, La Nina, um, and then go, and then, and then really go over the Gleisberg cycle. What is it? Um, what's the track record for it? You know, 10 centuries, this is verified. This Gleisberg cycle, 89 years of a one, one year drought in the U S how, and then I go over these eruptions, you know, how this is common in, in grand solar cycles and how we have eruptions that are now occurring that have the potential of altering the normal weather cycles. Here's what to look for. Here are the signposts. The key is, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen a Tonga eruption water vapor before, then, you know, all we can do is say, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. Is it or not? And as, as we said last time, if it's if we're following normal cycles, then, then it says that the impact from the volcanic eruptions are going to be further out. If it's altering it within the next three or four months, then, then we're going to have to truncate our forecast to a different forecast. And that's really the value of understanding these historical cycles is knowing when they're verifying and know when they're not verifying and to know what events may alter the cycle. Knowing that we've never had a water vapor entrenched underwater volcano go off before like Tonga in a thousand years says we need to be on guard that something different may happen here. You know, this is not business as usual in predicting climate. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the key um, is, is to be aware that these things are out there and, uh, and to be monitoring them because it, the, getting the drought right or wrong is massively important right now for producers, for end users, for governments, you know, who are dealing with food shortages. I mean, this is a really, really big deal to determine whether the normal cycle is going to play out here and give us a little, little bit of a breather, or we're going right into the fire again mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, with a major drought in 23, and we're not going to get that temporary respite. And, you know, we're going to do everything we can and work every day that we can to do everything possible 
to make that that determination as quickly as we can so that adjustments can be made one way or the other. Right on. Well, you do a good job of that, Sean. So thanks for what you're doing out there, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you, Casey. And I look forward to doing it every week. So. Right on, man. What's the best way to get a, to reach out to you and get uh, what's going on over at Hackett Financial? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about these weather cycles, some of the capital flow work we do, agronomy work that we do to make our forecast to see if that kind of analysis and information might be of some value to your listeners. Right on, man. Appreciate it, Sean. Sounds good. And, I, and I'm looking forward to doing this from Florida next week. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> a little, little, little more chilly here than it is in, in Florida. Eight, eight degrees tonight is, uh, is a little crisp from 80. You know, somehow well, I lost a digit on the way over here. It's all a derivative, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour from Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel to see the video version of this podcast here. So anything Moving Iron related that you want to find information about, go to movingironllc.com. You get the entire podcast library, the blog library, as well as information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 2023. Uh, if you're looking to get that $50 discount and you're one of the first 150 people to do that, send me an email, movingironpodcast, movingironpodcast.com, and I'll make sure to get you on that list. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Squeeze smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.